You're listening to CJSW 90.9 FM, broadcasting out of Calgary, Alberta at the University of Calgary campus radio station located on Treaty 7 land. I would like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta. The city of Calgary is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Welcome, you're listening to the Keeping Green Podcast here on CJSW 90.9 FM. Thank you so much for joining me. I am your host, Cullen, and today we are talking about bugs. Now, love them or hate them, we do need these little critters in our lives to keep our ecosystems healthy and happy. I know I'm not super happy when I find a spider in my shoe, but you know who is happy to find a spider in their shoe, the people I'm interviewing today. Before we get into those interviews, though, I would like to give a little content warning. We are talking about the creepy crawlies and what they do between the sheets. So if that's not quite your thing, feel free to jump back in after this in about half an hour. Or you might as well go to CGSW 90.9 FM and listen to some of Keeping Green's older episodes if that feels right for you. And without further ado, this is my interview with Andrew Gregg talking all things bug sex in relation to his new film. Bug Sex, which you can find on CBC Gem. Enjoy. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for taking your time out of your day to, to be on today. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure. The first question that came to my mind, and I hope is on everybody's mind, is why, <laughs> with the movie, the title, Bug Sex, that's quite, that's very in your face. Um, what, <laughs> what, what brought you to, to, to want to do a, a whole documentary on it? Well, when you say when you say <laughs> bug sex is in your face, it, it, it reminds me of like snakes on a plane or cocaine bear. Okay, like, fair. Like, like you know, like it just that you know what it's about. Yes, I, I, it was it was the, people talk about elevator pitches, mm-hmm. and the elevator pitch bug sex. It's about bug sex, and so that worked out really well. But um, where it came from, um, actually, there there is an Albertan connection. Okay. Um, I was uh, Alberta BC connection. I was shooting a documentary in Kootenay National Park just over the border. Um, uh, we were based in Canmore, but we were shooting up there with Dr. Madian Andrade from the University of Toronto Scarborough. Okay. And we did a we did a film called First Animals on the Burgess Shale. And when we were wrapping that film up, I said to Madian, who's just the most incredible, wonderful person, I said, "So what's next?" And she said, "How about bug sex?" And you know, right away, like you, you rarely start a, a project like this with the title, Yeah, <laughs> but it was, it was ready-made and she had done her PhD on the cannibalistic sex practices of, uh, of redback spiders in Australia. Okay. And so she started showing me these macro photography videos and I just went, okay, we got to do this. And I pitched it to the the nature of things and they were interested right away but then covid derailed us okay uh, for a couple of years and then last spring cc came back and they said hey listen can you remount no and that's not a joke but remount <laughs> the film and i said for sure you know so off we went but yes it's dr dr median andrade's idea and most of the uh content of the film is from her as well from her guidance she's actually uh, uh credited as our story editor so I, I just kind of followed her lead. That's so yeah. cool. And then I, I know you have quite a bit of uh, the first animals, and then also your other film, uh, oh, Windrush. Yeah, you, you've done film. you've done some work with the environmental kind of 
ecology? Is that has that kind of been a passion, or is it like a focus you've you've kind of kind of come in on? I I've tended to do sort of adventure documentaries. Okay, and you can't go out into the wilds without confronting climate change. Very true. It, it it's everywhere, and and um, honestly, shooting bug sex. We came to Alberta and we shot up around the Hinton area. Mm-hmm. We were shooting the Cipoderas, the the monster haglids, which are one of the loudest bugs in North America. And we went at the time when all the experts told us to go. And it was actually, as anybody from Edmonton over to Hinton knows, it was a chilly spring. Mm-hmm. So we got the stuff, but it was late. And the same thing happened on Vancouver Island with the black widow spiders. Okay. We got there and we were at the normal time, but it was cold. So we were affected all across the board. Like nobody can predict the behavior of the animals anymore. And we managed to get all the material, but you, you can't help but notice it. And there's another, another documentary I did in 2016 for the nature of things called Secrets from the Ice. And it was up in the Yukon, and it was about how there are ice patches up there. They're not glaciers. They're ice patches. The glaciers move. Ice patches don't. And the ice is as old as 10,000 years. Oh, wow. And what happened was it started to melt, and all of these human hunting artifacts came out from between 500 years to 10,000 years ago from a culture that nobody knew existed in the southern Yukon. So that was climate change because the ice is melting mm-hmm. and it 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 revealed a great story but at the same time the background is not good yeah. <laughs> you know this ice is melting for the first time in 10,000 years so yeah i think you come across these things as soon as you try to do films like this you're going to you're going to face climate change mm-hmm. yeah which is it's a heavy topic to to tackle as well it's, there's a, there's a lot there <laughs> And then uh, kind of going into the variables of filming such small things, was there anything that was that stood out to be kind of the most difficult thing to film? I mean, you're dealing with tiny specimens in large areas. Was was there any big hurdles you had to jump that you weren't expecting going into the project? Well, I was actually very trepidatious going into the project because I've kind of stayed away from wildlife, <laughs> including <laughs> bugs, because it takes such a time commitment. And they're never going to do exactly what you want them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first step was, was um, you know, how are we going to film these little things? And it, that actually ended up being pretty easy. We got our hands on a, a relatively new macro lens okay. that we could just pack in our bag and throw it on the front of it <laughs> on our cameras. And it was, it was ready to go. So it, it, gave, us, it, it gave the bugs the, the 4K widescreen treatment. Mm-hmm. That they deserve. That they that they deserve. <laughs> yeah. So that that was pretty cool. But you know, I'll go back to the Cifaderas from from Hinton when when they got them back in the lab in in at the University of Toronto Scarborough. We spent two full days trying to film them. That was the most frustrating. But for the most part, we got everything we went for. Even even in Uruguay, we we filmed in Uruguay, and the yeah, I was down there in September. And that's the end of their winter, and um, so the spiders we were there to film aren't really in, aren't aren't really in full flight in terms of breeding and, and, and until you know early to midsummer. Mm-hmm. But we're really lucky we got everything down there too. So you know, again, knock on wood. <laughs> the best of a bad of a, a possibly bad situation, you got as much as you could <laughs> get in. So, and that kind of kind of brings me into my next question: Was there anything that 
that you really loved that didn't make the final cut that uh, that you kind of wished did, or did it did it play out pretty much how you envisioned it? Uh, we were pretty economical in our shooting. The one the one thing that we opted that was in our in our plans at the beginning, mm-hmm. and we realized that our our menu was too full. Was we were going to do praying mantises, do uh, mantids, Ooh, okay. um, because there's some pretty fascinating stuff about. I mean, I think people, you know, anybody that's aware of of of, of sexual cannibalism. Mm-hmm knows about um, black widows and they know about mantids, but there's a lot of work being done lately on how male uh, praying mantids are trying to avoid getting their heads bitten off. Okay. And, and I think, I think that's the message of the whole bug sex thing is that, you know, it's about evolution Mm -hmm. and, and things are always changing. And that's what the scientists are looking at. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's like a, it's like an arms race, a genital arms race. (laughs) You know, and as we say in the film, there are 10 quintillion bugs in the world. And they all want to have sex. Mm-hmm. But that creates intense competition. And that was really fascinating to me, that 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 how quickly things change mm-hmm. evolutionarily and how the scientists are trying to keep up and how little is known, actually, about about the bug world and their sexual behavior. That's what I find to be the coolest part, watching it and then talking to Dr. Scott and Dr. McCann about it was just, I had some questions and they had some answers saying, uh, which you'll hear later in the podcast, about how far the chemicals go, how far is their range, just kind of things like that. And they're going, well, we don't know the answers yet, but we're doing research into it, which I think is super cool, just how fast with the bugs evolving, also just our knowledge on them evolving with it, which is so cool. Well, I think also, I think also too, the whole nature of scientific studies evolving. Mm-hmm. And and we, we get into this in the film, particularly with Dr. Anita Eisenberg in Uruguay, when she talks about when she entered the, entered the sciences about 25 years ago, there were hardly any women in the labs mm-hmm. or at the university studying bug biology. And now she's got her own lab at the Clemente Institute in Montevideo, and, and it's all women. And the funny thing was that, you know, she's she's famous for having discovered this species of a wolf spider called Alacasa, mm-hmm. where the, the females are the courting sex, not mm-hmm. the males. And it's not as if the females just started acting that way. It's that because the academy and the laboratories were so male-dominated, mm-hmm. and because nature, you know, it's generally the males, it's the, it's, it's the peacock with the feathers. Yeah the lion with the mane, you know, it's the males that, that put on the show in order to, in, in order to, you know, find a mate. What she found with these spiders is it was completely the opposite. And then she found that it was because men dominated the field mm-hmm. and they just didn't think that the female part of the story about female bugs and sex was just not being studied. Yeah. And so that opens up a whole new arena of study that that people are piling into now, and um, that that's absolutely fascinating. <laughs> that that human that that there was a sort of an unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. That part, a lot of you know, when you do a film like this, you you you've got most of the research done ahead of time. Yes, that part came out while we were filming, and I had no idea. That's I mean I, that must be so just rewarding. Being like, hey, I looked into this, and now there's kind of stuff moving on behind the scenes that we're finding out while it's in in, in production. Yeah, yeah. Everything's changing as we speak. Hopefully, uh, we'll find out some more stuff in the future as well. Speaking about just things coming out, what's on the horizon? I know you said you wrapped production pretty recently, and then with everything airing not too too long ago, you're kind of 
sinking back into it, watching some TV, which is, I'm glad you get some time to relax finally. Is there anything on your horizon, anything you're, you're kind of pushing towards? Normally we would have something uh, ready to go, but mm-hmm. because this was sort of an intense production period, we, we kind of let our guard down on, um, on, on selling new stuff. So we're doing it now, <laughs> um, but nothing, nothing concrete. I would dearly love to do a bug sex too. Oh, I'm uh, to <laughs> and I just actually had a conversation today with Nadia and Andrade about it. Like I would like to do a film, including stuff like the Mantids. Well, I hope you guys keep chatting and hopefully crossing my fingers, something comes into fruition in the way of bug sex too. Again, thank you so much, Andrew. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and hopefully we will talk again soon. Okay, great. Thank okay. you so much. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Andrew Gregg talking about his film, Bug Sex, which you can watch on cbcgem.com. You can find it under The Nature of Things. It's about 44 minutes in runtime, so if you have time today, I would definitely look into that. And up next, I had the pleasure of talking to Dr. Catherine Scott and Dr. Sean McCann about their involvement in the film as well. I just want to give you guys a little rundown on the background of these incredibly, incredibly intelligent folks I got to talk to today because it is mind-blowing the amount of stuff they know about spiders and insects and all of the like. So Dr. Catherine Scott is an arachnologist and behavioral ecologist who studies spider communication, mating, and foraging behavior. They completed their Master's of Science in Biology at Simon Fraser University and PhD in Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at the University of Toronto, Scarsborough. As for Dr. Sean McCann, he is an entomologist and a natural historian with a passion for photography, especially of insects and spiders. He completed his Master's of Science in Medical Entomology at the University of Florida and his PhD at Simon Fraser University. Hello, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for picking up. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. So to start off... I know it was mentioned a little bit in the film, Catherine, you mentioned how you got into your love of uh, arachnids, but I was wondering if if there was a a moment in time for both of you specifically where you kind of were like, oh, I really enjoy this and I kind of want to pursue this more. Like, were you guys buggy kids? How did that kind of transpire? So I was not always interested in arachnids. I was terrified of spiders as a child and never really looked closely at them until I got my first job as a research assistant at the age of about 25, uh, helping with a study on the vibratory communication of black widow spiders. So I basically went from zero to 100, um, and I figured I would just have to get over my fear when I started working with the spiders, but I very quickly fell in love with them and their behavior and communication systems and and when I looked more closely at them and started focusing on their behavior, I uh, found them really beautiful. And Sean and I actually met in grad school. When we first met, he did not particularly like spiders, <laughs> but I think I shifted his uh, yeah. opinion. Yeah, basically, I thought spiders were rather boring because they lead rather sedentary lives and don't seem to do much. That's very exciting. But uh, yeah, just getting a closer look at them, I, I quickly... You know, I found them compelling subjects for photography and things like that. And, you know, the more you look, the more you see. And uh, yeah, now I find them quite quite interesting to observe and, and do work on. Of course, Sean had always been interested in insects mm. uh, as an entomologist and even when you were a kid, right? But, uh, yeah, he, he thought spiders were uh, were less interesting than, uh, than six-legged critters. Okay, so they, they won over your heart. It just took a little bit of time. 
Yeah. Once you get into any kind of organism, yeah, like I say, the more you look, the more you see and uncovering novel behaviors is, you know, always something I've been into and, mm-hmm. and working on spiders has provided a lot of that. Yeah. And I think spiders provide arguably more opportunities for discovery because they haven't been the subject of as much research as insects because insects are often pets and, and mm-hmm. affect human health and so on. So a lot of money goes into, into researching them, whereas spiders are, are mostly pretty benign. And I know they have quite a bit of a, a little bit of a negative connotation in, in the media. I know you, Catherine, you mentioned that in one of your publications on your website. Have you seen a shift in kind of that like either love for spiders or distaste for spiders as you've gone through your research? So I think there, there is a sort of general distaste for spiders. People love to hate spiders and blame them for mystery bites and things like that. And I think that that is often perpetuated, unfortunately, by medical professionals who mm. will blame unexplained bites. They'll say, oh, it's probably a spider bite. It's probably nothing. But people kind of take that with them and then assume that everything is a spider bite, even though feeding on human blood is not part of spider biology. Bites are incredibly rare. Mm. uh, And there's only a few species of spider that can actually harm people. Um, But yeah, also there's kind of in pop culture, for instance, spiders are are typically villains, like in the Lord of the Rings or, uh, you know, Harry Potter books and things like that. And uh, and horror movies like, you know, arachnophobia feature spiders. So I don't think that things have shifted all that much in the sort of 10 years that I've been studying spiders and talking to people about spiders. Although I actually have a friend who I met because he got in touch with me in the course of starting a YouTube series on the spiders in his house. And I've been pleasantly surprised to see that he's getting a lot of really positive comments on his YouTube channel. And it's become very popular. He sort of dispels myths about the common spiders that you find in your house, like yellow sack spiders and cellar spiders and things like that. And like you said, our paper about spiders in the media showed that a lot of times the journalists get things wrong and stories are often sensationalized, which leads to them being shared more widely, but bad information being shared more widely. So it was really encouraging me, to me to see uh, Travis, his name is, and his channel is called The Seeds of the Spiders in Your House, getting a really strong, positive response to his fact-based and well-researched videos. And I think, you know, overall in society, there's more of, maybe it's a underground movement, but, you know, uh, folks who think that geeking out on nature is uh, kind of cool in its own way. Like, yeah, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so spiders can be a part of that as well. And, you know, folks folks appreciate spiders. Maybe maybe it's just the circles we move in. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, like there's been an explosion certainly in recent years in iNaturalist. Mm-hmm. And that might have something to do with the pandemic, but I think it was also already sort of increasing exponentially in terms of users and, and observations. And, you know, it's not just birds and mammals and charismatic megafauna that people are taking photos of and putting on iNaturalist. Uh, another colleague and I, Morgan Jackson, we, we've been looking at the iNaturalist data for Canada and found that terrestrial arthropods, so, you know, bugs and spiders and things of that nature, are 
are really, really commonly observed um, by people all across Canada. So that, again, suggests that people are are looking at things and, and being curious about them and maybe sort of spidering and bugging is uh, the new birding. So there's so there's some 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 micro shifts that we, we're seeing, which is awesome. I'd I love like to, to hear think it. So, yeah. Fantastic. Well, that I mean, that's so exciting. A little bit goes a long way, hopefully in, in that regard. And I don't think I'm super scared of spiders, but I didn't actually know we had black widows in in Canada, which is kind of crazy. I feel like I should have. Yeah, and please don't let that uh, concern you. <laughs> so black widows do occur in Canada on the West Coast and in southern uh, Ontario and Quebec. Okay. But So there's the western black widow in the west of the country and then the northern black widow in southern Ontario and Quebec. And uh, people rarely encounter them uh, because they're very shy, sort of, nocturnal spiders and they're really not interested in messing with humans Mm -hmm. so the only way to to get bitten by a black widow really is to crush them against your body or or otherwise harass them to the point where they feel they need to defend by biting but they're quite hesitant to bite so if you leave them alone they will leave you alone and you know the place where we studied black widows during my phd that's featured in the documentary there are thousands of black widows all over that beach and it's very popular people walk there every day with dogs and little kids Mm -hmm. and no one has ever been bitten by a black widow there to my knowledge because they just mind their own business uh under the driftwood so yeah so there's some weight off my shoulders now i'm a little less less nervous about that which is i'm I'm glad to hear it i'll I'll spend a little bit more time on the beaches uh on the island this summer then so thank you so much for that i appreciate that i uh again weight weight off my shoulders kind of get into the elephant in the room talking about bug sex, specifically uh, the mating practices of black widows and what you did your PhD in. Could you talk me through the process of how their mating style is unique? Any kind of fun facts about them? You don't have to go into a lot of detail about it because I know it's it's quite the process. Yeah. So spiders, I mean, one of the, the things that, you know, distinguishes spiders from other arachnids and other animals is how they have sex. It's quite unusual. So the male has this pair of appendages on the front end of his body called pedipalps. You can think of them kind of like arms, like they're they're sort of smaller versions of his eight legs. Mm-hmm. And those are his copulatory organs, but they're not connected to his gonads. Oh. So in order to mate, he has to start by building a little web called a sperm web, and he deposits a droplet of sperm from his abdominal genital opening onto that web. And then he sucks it up into his pedipalps. So imagine sort of like picking it up with his little hand <laughs> and stores it in, in those and carries it with him until he finds a female. And then he transfers it to the female, sort of pumps the sperm out using hydraulic pressure. And in Black Widows, the pedipalps are quite elaborate. The, the actual part that goes into the female's genitalia is shaped like a corkscrew. And so that part of the male's genitalia interacts with a correspondingly corkscrew-shaped duct inside the female's abdomen. And so he inserts his sperm into her abdomen and uh, transfers it to sperm storage organs inside her. When he removes his copulatory organ, the tip can break off. And if it breaks off and he is successful at lodging it in just the right place, it will block access the female's sperm storage organs such that subsequently mating males will not be able to inseminate her. Hey, wow, that's quite the process. <laughs> yeah, it's very odd and, and elaborate for sure. 
Well, I was going to say, it's, a, it's a, definitely a lot to research that, and you can uh, get into the nitty-gritty of it all. Yeah, and I mean, I, I was the, the kind of copulatory mechanics of these spiders was already known when I started studying them. That wasn't really the focus of my research, but okay. more the behavior so that, that the sperm plug, the tip of the embolus, it's called, the copulatory organ, when it breaks off inside the female, that is a mechanism for competition. So like once a male animal mates, he is kind of the winner in terms of fitness and offspring produced. Uh, the work that Sean and I did was more focused on what happens before that and winning the race to find females initially and be uh, the first male to copulate with her. Okay, awesome. So it's more more the before, the foreplay of the, the spiders than the actual <laughs> yeah. endurers. I know in the film you mentioned that they use chemical signals to that like kind of move through the air to put out basically a signal to say, males, come find me, I believe. Exactly. What's the range on that? I remember watching them and being like, oh, how have, uh, you, yeah. have you studied that? Well, this is, the, this is the point at which the rather boring life of the Black Widow, basically hanging out in the web all day, doing nothing but catching prey, mm-hmm. takes a real turn when the adult males go to seek the female. They move typically upwind uh, following pheromone plumes that the females are producing on their, on their silk. And they can move really long distances, we found. In certain experimental situations, we found them moving 60 meters in the night kind of thing. So oh, wow. um, quite considerable distances for such a tiny, tiny spider. And dangerous, too. We found that uh, only about 12% of males in nature actually survive the journey to find a female. It's a lonely kind of epic quest <laughs> the male has to go on. He, he has essentially... Um, only light dark vision so he's he's navigating entirely by his sense of smell over a landscape where there's lots of predators and so just surviving to even arrive at a female's web when she's 60 meters or more away is is quite the feat okay quite the it's quite the journey hopefully it's worth it for them <laughs> and then and then once they they make it there i know Catherine, you mentioned in sorry i i nerded out and, and did <laughs> read through everything you guys have ever written a little bit so i apologize if i keep bringing back oh, that's awesome on that but i was wondering it says that the brown widows are, are sexually cannibalistic is that the same for the the western black widow so brown widows and redbacks are two widow spider species that are unusual in that sexual cannibalism is almost obligatory and the male is actually complicit. He does uh, what's called a copulatory somersault during uh, sperm transfer and actually offers his abdomen to the female so that she can start eating him while he's transferring sperm. And uh, the idea is that in those species, if the male allows the female to eat him, she, he's able to transfer more sperm, mate longer, and, and have uh, a better chance of fertilizing her eggs compared to other males who don't uh, offer themselves. With the Western black widows and, and other North American widow spiders, sexual cannibalism is actually quite rare, but it can happen earlier in the process. So when the male first arrives on the female's web, if she's not ready to mate or she's hungry, um, he could be eaten before he even gets a chance to copulate with her. And cannibalism after sex, like the common misconception in the name Black Widow comes from the idea that the male is always eaten after copulation. And in the Western Black Widow anyway, that's not typical. 
and males are actually um, quite often able to survive mating and go on to mate with more than one female in their lifetime. Oh, okay. Awesome. I was going to say that's, it's so interesting just to see how they, they vary in their, in their practices. And I mean, it, I, I don't know how I'd feel after traveling that journey and then being eaten. So I, I nod my hat <laughs> off to them. <laughs> We've kind of gone through your past research and, and what, what we see you uh, take part in the film. Just wondering if our listeners wanted to know more about you or what you do, where can they find you and, and, and what kind of research are you currently doing now, if, if any? I know you're very busy. Yeah, so I I still dabble in uh, Black Widow research, but my primary research now is focused on uh, a relative called the candy stripe spider and its foraging ecology. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Katarania, and uh, my blog is called Spider Bites, um, but bites is with a Y because it's information about spiders. <laughs> And so um, information about my, my research and um, cool natural history stories about spiders can be found there. And you can participate in my work on candy stripe spiders by going to the part of the website called Spider Hunters and submit your sightings to iNaturalist. Myself, uh, I don't work directly with spiders anymore. I'm actually working at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada as a crop entomologist, so studying pest insects, uh, pollinators, beneficial insects, and and I hope to incorporate some spider research into some of my future work. But uh, as of yet, I've just started in the past year, so uh, we're, we're working up to that. We're working up to it. Awesome. Well, And he also has an awesome blog called iVictor. Yeah. Uh, com where he has lots of photos of spiders and uh, tips on macro photography and information about his research. And I will make sure to have those listed in the show notes down below. And that is going to be on cjsw.com under podcast and keeping green. I want to say one more huge thank you to Dr. Scott and Dr. McCann for talking to me today, sharing their knowledge about all things spiders. I had a great time. I learned a ton. Hopefully you guys did it as well. And I will catch you guys on the next episode of Keeping Green. Have a great one. Bye.